So Shelly, in today's episode, we are finishing up uh, the interview with Brielle Decker, part two of that interview of Prisoner of the Prophet. Is her show. Documentary. Right. On what? Discovery Plus or something? Yes. An Amazon add-on? I don't know. <laughs> How did we watch just it? Look, just look it up. <laughs> I don't know. With Discovery Plus, I think. Do you have Discovery Plus this whole time? Yes, because there's cool shows on there. <laughs> I do I pay know. eight extra dollars per month. There's good <laughs> shit. You know, I love me a well, good series. you know, this documentary was probably worth all eight bucks because it's that it's wild. That good. It is wild. Yes. You got to watch it. Yes. And uh, we're going to get right to part two of that interview in just a second. Also, we have a pod to pitch later on we in do. the episode. We do. We do. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Tired of wasting time and money on starvation diets that lead to more frustration and stress? If there was a weight loss solution that could actually work for you, would you try it? Then head to Golo.com. I'm Steve. I lost 138 pounds in nine months on Golo. I'm Amber. I've lost 128 pounds with Golo. If you're ready to take back control of your life, head to Golo.com now and see how Golo can work for you. That's Golo.com. My sleep is way better. My inflammation has gone way down. Golo saved my life. I was way overweight. That's what sent me down the path. I wanted to make sure and live for my kid. I have literally tried everything. I was on the verge of getting gastric bypass surgery, and I saw the Golo commercial, and it was the last thing I tried because it worked. Join over 2 million people who found a better way to lose weight with Golo. Your healthier and happier life begins at Golo.com. That's G-O-L-O.com. Again, G-O-L-O.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Latter-day Lesbian, the podcast about a nine. Let me do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Remember where we need to do outtakes? (laughs) I know, right? Blooper reel. I'll just leave that in there. Dan, if you ever want to save that for a blooper reel. We should literally, as we go along, is it hard for you to take something that you're going to delete and just throw it elsewhere and we can go through it later? Put in a whole new? Uh, Well, it's like a whole outputting thing. Just leave this in, and I'll snip it later. Okay. Leave this in, Dan. Leave it in, Dan. I'll snip it and save it. Mm-hmm. Snip it and save it. Mm. So, Shelly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mary. We have a special guest once again we today. Do. We do. <laughs> Brielle Decker. Welcome back, Brielle Decker. Yay! Maybe we should just pick up uh, that interview where we left off. Shall we? Yeah. I'm not sure where that is. In three, two, two one. From the outside looking in, I always feel so horrible for the women and the children, right? Like, that just breaks my heart. What do you think, though, that living this lifestyle does to the boys as they grow into men and they advance on in in the church? It does hurt everybody. It hurts Mm -hmm. everybody in this whole thing. Because if you listen to men talk about the story, which is hard to do because they don't always want to step up and talk about it because they're not seen as the victim all the time. Right. But they honestly— they have to come up with the money for everyone. They they feel responsible. They say the competition between the wives is absolutely the worst part. Some of them will say that. Mm. You know, loving all these people and not being able to show is very hurtful. Mm-hmm. And then if you think about like the young boys that get kicked out, you know, that they get kicked out regularly because of the competition factor that the old men wow. want the young brides. So the the boys are not valued, I don't think. And they make it really hard for the boys, make it really, really tough on boys in general. They actually say in the FLES that, like, if the boys 
become an apostate and go public and all of that, they can actually become what they call a son of perdition. So a son of perdition is like the worst punishment, but a girl can never reach that capacity. They'll always be a different kingdom for the girl because she didn't have that opportunity to be the prophet. That's a belief in mainstream Mormonism as well, that it's it's the boys because they had the priesthood and they know more and they're closer to God. So if they turn away from it, they are cast into outer darkness. Whereas girls, I mean, meh, we don't, you know, yeah. we don't know all that much. We're just Nobody dumb. cares about the yeah, girls. Yeah, no one cares. No one cares. <laughs> girls have it easier to stay anyway. That's interesting. Yeah. A lot of people have compassion for the women mm-hmm. and the kids. But in my perspective, there was so many women that didn't step up. And there was multiple reasons why, I'm sure. Some of them did have littler kids on the property in Texas, and they decided not to step up for those little kids' sake because then they would get kicked off the property and those kids would go through more. That makes sense to me. But there were so many women that never had kids and just never stood up, and I didn't understand why. It could be fair tactics. It could be a whole host of things. But I don't have, I don't feel like I have as much compassion for those adult women because like I became a target and I had like so many abusers because mm-hmm. I stepped out of my comfort zone and fought and fought and fought. Yeah. The women didn't like you. No, right? they didn't like me. So I did have some friends, but they, I was held at arm's length anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they didn't like me because Warren just paid so much attention to me. Some of them were that reason. Gotcha. Mm. And he did because he was experimenting on me, I think. You think he was trying to get you to go back in line? I think he really wanted bad things. Like, I don't think it was anything good. If I, Uh like it talks in the documentary, like if I got to that point where my American rights were taken away and he was controlling Mm. me, I don't know what would happen at that point. I think it would have been bad, you know, really bad. If he's controlling people, he can manipulate to do, you know, and I don't know if he could have manipulated me at that point either. You know, you never know what would have gone down if I didn't have any way of escaping ever. So you mentioned having some friends in the compound. Were there some women or someone that you could confide in about, you know, your disbelief in it or wanting to get away? I couldn't confide in them because every time I would cry and talk to somebody, they would call on them to bear their testimony like within 15 minutes. Mm. Wow. Just to glean out of them anything that they might, I might have said wrong or it was very targeted. There's been people now on the outside who have come forward and said there was a hit out on me direct from Warren. He was telling people that I needed to die because of like blood atonement. Yeah. He was trying to say there was just reasons, but every caretaker, Mm -hmm. every man that he put over, you know, like I was on 24 watch and all that, he'd have these caretakers. They didn't want to shed innocent blood because that's the other side of blood atonement. Mm -hmm. So that's what we were fighting against is like, they had to prove that it was just. Mm. And and they would get to a point where they're like, this is just not just. Yeah. And then they he'd move me to another house and not really start over, kind of just heighten it to a different level at the other house with a different person who hadn't been through all the same experiences. So you think if, if he had put a caretaker over you that would have agreed with him that you were bad news, that you could have lost your life? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, if he could have he could have gotten it to that point. He did try very, very hard to get somebody, because mm-hmm. he's in prison by this time, to try to get somebody to take me out. Yeah. I fought, too. I fought really hard, too. Yeah. 
Is this something you saw like in other people? Where did you see other people get a hit out taken out on them? Or I didn't see it, but I got to a point in my experience where they told me if I killed myself, they would tell everybody it was an accident. If I didn't kill mm-hmm. myself, they would tell everybody I did it myself. So basically, I believe they're very secretive about that kind of stuff, like high-profile mm-hmm. stuff they don't want to do in public. I see. It will sure. affect everyone too much. So sure. maybe it did happen, yeah. but you, did, but no one knew about it. They just call it an accident. They kind of threaten oh, them. Right, like if, if, right, right, you right. Know, yeah. Good grief. I look, so the more you talk about the secrecy and how, how women have to bear their testimony to you within a few minutes if you show any doubt, I think about the motto is keep sweet. Right. And the more that I heard keep sweet, it would just trigger your the, oh, trigger me. Reflex. I'm like, keep sweet. Like, ugh. <laughs> I hate that women are supposed to be dumb and quiet and never upset and always just so kind. And I hate that. It makes my blood boil. How was that for you, this whole keep sweet? It's kind of like saying, shut up, be happy, and do what we say. I I didn't understand that that was detrimental in there, but I did mm-hmm. know that I was getting numb. Mm. Numb? I was being targeted, and, and it was becoming public, you know, in mm-hmm. the family. And I was still having to keep sweet for my own life's sake. So, like, I would numb it out. Yeah. Like, I would, I would sit through a training, and I wouldn't even move the entire time, hardly even dare blink, because it was just so intense for those three years that I was harassed continually. But um, that was after he went to prison. And it started right after he went to prison. I believe it's because he actually didn't really succeed in making me an accomplice. I mean, I went to the introduction, and it talks about that in the documentary. And then I never went back. So basically, um, because of that secret meeting in the Texas when all the Mm. women and all that were in the room, that meeting I walked away from and never went back. So like now I know on the outside If you get introduced to something and you don't go back, it's a Mm. good sign for you because you you basically decided you don't want to commit that crime, you know? Right. So I successfully avoided him in Houses of Hiding. It talks about that after I successfully avoided him because I didn't want to have underage brides and all that in the room and all that. So anyway, um, because I successfully avoided him, then... I think I believe I was the only one who actually successfully did that. So when he got caught and he realized he was never going to be able to pull me back into an experience like Mm -hmm. that and make me a full accomplice because I kept going back and back and back for more. So you're saying the crime was? Underage brides. Underage brides. Okay. Well, he had them in the same room um, Mm -hmm. as a bunch of adults. And was telling them to undress and all that. So he had a whole trick way of getting everybody involved. And I was in the introduction to that and tricked into um, not realizing that there was underage rides in the room until after. Mm. Like he told us to stay focused on him and not turn around and all that. So anyway, when he did give us permission to turn around, there was underage rides in the room watching us. So that was horrific. And... I never went back to any of those meetings again after that time frame. So after I was introduced to it, I, I had to do a lot of things for like basically um, for survival. Like I had to really be conscious of not attacking him on that belief because mm-hmm. I would have gone 
and just said, I don't like this. I don't want to be a part of this. I, t- I witnessed him tell other wives, you have to stay. You cannot leave. And he would get angry over things like that and feel like it sure. was a just reason to be angry. But in my experience, I just wrote to him and said, I need more time. And he bought into my story. He let me leave right. Texas. And then basically, I never I never was brought back into those experiences because I was openly rebellious from that point on. And because I was openly rebellious, it, it protected me from going back to Texas where he was. So when you say accomplice, so he's got women in there witnessing yeah. underage brides. So now maybe he can blackmail, say, well, don't you, if you tell on me, y'all are all going to prison too because you're accomplices. Was that the idea? Yeah, that was the idea. Wow. Yeah. They didn't highlight that very, very good in the documentary, I don't feel like. Yeah. But I think it's super important to recognize that, like, I I feel like I can talk about it more openly than most of them will ever want to or ever be able to. Some of them did have kids on the property, and I believe in a court setting that would also be considered. They Mm. would do anything in these underage writing secret meetings because they don't want to leave the property and put their younger children at risk. Mm-hmm. That, to me, would make sense in a court setting also. So there'll be some of those stories, and I've already heard some of those stories. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I don't have as much compassion for women that didn't have any kids on the property and stuff. I, maybe I should. I'm not a judge, but in my mind, I was so targeted and so abused that if I had more support, it would have been so much easier. Of course. Sure. In that time frame when I was going through that, um, yeah, I just think that the women had more responsibility because, like, you know, we though he had 79 wives. How could I, you know, one abuser in domestic violence is enough. You know? Right. It's too right? much. Yeah. Yeah. So he had, like, 49 kids and 79 wives by the time he went to prison. So, Well, also getting that many people to go along with it, you yeah. think that someone before you would have would have snapped and gotten the heck out of there. You know what I mean? Why were you the only one? <laughs> that well, I was in a well because he made those elite groups, mm-hmm. and he had the guard towers and the gate around him and cameras, and wow. he put me on twenty four hour watch because I was succeeding as evading him. You're a problem. Don't think, right? Yeah. So <laughs> basically, when he made it like a concentration camp, he told them it was a holy place we're going to build where all the sure, but it was kind of like a concentration camp for some people and. Nobody wanted to be in that position. They were basically physically trapped at that point. It wasn't just the mental cage that we were used to growing up. Gosh. Did you have family on the compound? I had my sister some of the time. They would hide everything from her. They would just spoil her rotten. And I I don't know. She was instrumental in convincing my biological family that none of it was true and that they needed uh. to listen to the prophet. That was really crazy because it never happened to her. Right. I was like, of course right. it's not going to happen to you. They don't. They can't do that. That wouldn't be secretive. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about probably your your trauma that I'm guessing you may or may not still feel today. You had this entire life of nobody standing up for you. My father did. Good. That's that's yeah. awesome to have a, one person. Did he stand up publicly though for you? No. Or was... he, that's what I'm saying. Even at the wedding, he was crying, but he didn't dare yeah. tell me. Yeah, because then he'd lose the rest of his family. But he wow. told me so now you, he's like, I didn't want you to marry Warren Jeffs. So you have now more of an understanding of why he couldn't do anything, you know? Because I feel like when I look back at people who didn't stand up for me, it's angering because damn it, you should have. 
but you you look at it like he would have. He would have if he could have. Yeah, I feel like my father would have. I think I learned critical thinking from him. And also mm-hmm. in psychology, they say if you have one parent who loves you no matter what, you're going to be better off. That's where I feel like I learned love from. I think of love as like stability. Oh, I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Do you have much of a relationship with your uh, biological family now? Um, I have two brothers that I'm really close to. I have my father, who I talk to all the time. He's never held anything against me, even though he was kicked out a week after I escaped. Oh, Oh, wow. wow. Where is he now? He lives with one of my brothers that I talk to all the time. Does he still consider himself part of the FLDS church or is he more? No, no. They won't even let him come back. When he was kicked out, they told him you would never be able to return. So, Does he still prescribe to those beliefs or is he? I'm just no, curious. Like really. When people leave, what do they do? Okay, He's changed a lot. It, it, it mm-hmm. was a slower process, I feel like, than sure. some of the kids and stuff. You know, it's really loving and Jesus-like to kick people out. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't. This is what I don't understand. understand. All the time. He, was just all, he just went around kicking out the lepers. Has yeah. one of you tried to explain <laughs> the reason Jesus's name is in the title of your church? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's nothing, nothing Jesusy <laughs> about these religions. I think, I think it's it, yeah, it's about them. It's about the leader, you know, getting mm-hmm. everything. It and yeah, it's not about. The people, because like even in my situation, being elite, we weren't working a regular job. We were a homebody. Like he had 79 wives that are just staying home all day, teaching school and stuff. But like basically we were working all the time, but we weren't paid for it. And then all the people that are paying for it are starving and, you know, because he's requiring so much money from them. It was a horrible setup. Wow. Wow. Scammer. Do you still have some friends within the FLDS, like in the compound that you... No, I, I, I work with people on the outside mostly. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, because my next question, I guess, does imply I was going to ask if there was one person you could save out of the compounds, who would it be? But I guess if you really didn't have a lot of tight relationships because you were too rebellious to really all have of them. them. Well, sure, all of them. I'm saying one. <laughs> um, if I was, if, you know, a dream world of who I would save, it would be my mother. I really wish sometimes that I had a better relationship with her. Sure. Mm. I really wish that I would have tried. At 26, you know, is when I escaped, and mm-hmm. I didn't know how to go there, and I don't think with the church it would have been good. But, you know, I have such a close relationship with my mom that adopted me now mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I just wish that it, I could also have that with my biological mother. Yeah, yeah. That- that makes Does sense. She, is she able to talk to your biological father? No. She's on the inside still, and he's yeah. on the outside. So okay. she, we haven't talked for 11 years, so yeah. Mm. Wow. Do you ever wonder what's going on yeah, with what happened her? To her? I know that my sister, who was also married to Warren, is assigned to take care of her. So it's like a trauma bond, kind of. They're both not going to leave because of the other one. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm wondering... Because throughout the documentary, you keep having times pop up where you're thinking, I got to get out of here. I got to get out. And you do make a few attempts. It's not like you had one day where you're like, I'm done. You jumped and that was that. So I'm curious, do you remember like what specific teaching or what specific moment kind of triggered you over the edge where you were like, I'm going to try to start getting out now? There was a few of them. There were big ones. Like basically the first one was realizing that 
the God I'd been taught about my whole life, I didn't believe in. Mm. Because Warren Jeffs didn't act out. Like he was requiring more of me than he was doing. Oh, yeah. You know, I woke up in that in a house in hiding. And before that, I was openly rebellious to everyone. I was like, I'm not praying to ensure I don't go back to the elite group before I decide I'm ready. It got to a point where Warren Jeffs was calling me directly and I was just telling him, I'm reading. I didn't tell him the real reasons why I wasn't going back. I just said, I'm yeah. studying because I want to be further ahead in my life. I want to know if this really works. You know, I, I, I can't just trust that it works because like, you know, I didn't tell him that, but that's what I was thinking. Sure. I can't just trust that it works because of all the good people that were following his program that were kicked out. Like, why would that be something I wanted to do if it wasn't succeeding? Mm-hmm. So after studying for a long time his words, because that's the only books and the only recordings I had, I just started realizing more and more and more, like, this God, you know, I'm learning all how to make it into his kingdom, but, like, he doesn't exist. Right. And this is Warren Jeff's interpretations. He's the one that's given me all these all these trainings, mm-hmm. and he's not living this way. So, like, yeah, this God doesn't exist. Is that your proof that God doesn't exist based on the way you were seeing this religious leader live his life clearly? Because that's how he taught us. He was supposed to be the example. He's at the top of the pyramid. He's supposed to be the closest to God. So you were so disappointed in his actions. You're like, this can't be real. God can't exist. If this is God's representative, then it's bogus. And this sucks. Yeah. Yeah, because even if I went over to another polygamy group, say, and they had a different leader that maybe was leading all the doctrine, all the doctrine I had been given was Warren Jeff's interpretation, so it wouldn't be this, mm-hmm. exactly the same way of making it into heaven. Do you think that Warren Jeff's actually believes he is the prophet and talks to God, or you think he's just scamming people and knows it? I think he's a narcissist, a sociopath. He really likes mm-hmm. to take away people's hope really slowly, mm-hmm. antagonize mm-hmm. He thinks it's funny. He thinks it's fun. He enjoys it. He has wow. their heaven, you know, their ultimate dream, and he's raised them to believe in this, you know, wonderful place. And He's slowly just telling him, oh, well, it's right here, but you can't get it. You know, it's right, right here. It's just right. really sad to watch. It's just horrible. It's very manipulative. Yeah. And remember he had that one moment they showed him in prison talking to his brother. He had a moment of doubt. He kind of relayed to his brother, I don't, this isn't real. Right. Remember that? But then yeah. he came back around. Yeah, like, then he came back around. We didn't hear about that inside of there. Sure, They, of course. they didn't let yeah. us hear those recordings. <laughs> right, gotcha. right, right. Later on— in the documentary, it talks about how you were having PTSD episodes. I would love to get into that a little bit um, because I know a lot of our listeners have PTSD from the trauma they've gone through from their religions. Uh, so, yeah, do you mind talking about that for a minute? Yeah. So, first off, like it talks about how I was on 800 Seroquel, and I've had people come forward and tell me we knew she was overdrugged. We knew that if we stepped in, we'd get punished. But not only that, then the other people in the office would lose their family and stuff. So, like, they were being threatened to give me more drugs. And a lot of them were doing it. So, like, I had so many—I had 800 milligrams of of Seroquel by the time I left. And I believe the only reason why I was survived, because that's actually a lethal lethal dose, Mm -hmm. Wow, is because I built up to it. They didn't just give it to me all at once. And also, I— was fighting it so hard. Why'd they say you needed it? For sleep. I was fighting sleep because I wasn't safe. I don't think that's really supposed to be prescribed for sleep. It looks like it's it's for... It's part of it, but it's not really for that. It's like for depression and 
schizophrenia and borderline personality or something. I just looked this up. Bipolar disorder, that's what it's for. Yeah. My doctor in the cult would tell me that if I was fighting really hard for something, you can take more of it. I don't think he really wanted to prescribe that much to me, but he didn't, Mm. you know, he'd lose his family if he did. What's a typical dosage? Seems like that's so high. Do you have any idea what a typical dosage is? A typical dose is like maybe 200. That's still pretty high. You were on 800? I was on 800 by the time I left. Wow. The wow. usual, oh no, I'm reading this. The usual recommendation for insomnia is 25 milligrams once a day at bedtime. Yeah. Yeah, for insomnia. And you were taking 800. Yeah. Milligrams. Right now, so when I left, I, I went cold turkey off of medicine, obviously, because like I was running for my life and all of that. So then there's a whole side effect thing to that and most medicines. But I was still fighting like everything for survival. So I learned a lot of skills about reading people. In the cult, like I learned to read people quite well mm-hmm. without words. I believe it did help me a lot. When I met new people in my life, I would still apply those things really naturally. Yeah. Vigilance is a trauma response. Yeah. For sure. But yeah. in flight mode, where I was literally running for my life, they were chasing me. They put me on the missing list. They wow. told every activist out there. They all tell me they got a phone call that said she is under my mother's custody and you need to like wow. return her. And I was 26 years old, but they were trying. I believe if I would have got brought back, they would have succeeded at taking away my American rights. But because I was 26 and that hadn't happened, if I would have been put in front of a judge and my family is all turned on me, the doctors are all saying one thing. I don't think the judge could have read through it. I don't think they would have believed me. Wow. Yeah. So when you say, when you say take away your American rights, is that just like it's like the conservatorship that Britney Spears went through. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Mm. And if I get put in a, a sane place and the person who has my rights is somebody in the cult that Warren Jeffs puts over me, I'm screwed. Which it would be. Yeah, yeah. which it would have been. And nobody would have known mm-hmm. me. And he has done that to people. And I didn't realize it was stacking up on me. So basically saying you're not fit or competent to make decisions for yourself. Right. You can't sign documents. It would have never mattered if I really was competent. Sure. I was running from that. And that was really one of the biggest factors why we did the whole social change and get legally adopted. Because then if I ended up in the hospital for flashbacks, PTSD, which was pretty bad, obviously coming off cold turkey of medicine and all of that. Yeah. um, It would make so that if I was in there too long for a temporary facility, then the decision usually goes to a family member to make a decision. I didn't want to wake up in the FLDS. Yeah, so it was the, your adoptive mom could— yeah, yeah, so my adoptive family would make that decision, and now my husband. Gotcha. Right. Yeah, so that was huge to do the—it took two years. Wow. Were you nervous those entire two years? I went to Tennessee. I lived in Tennessee for two years, Nashville. Did the PTSD lessen when you got off the Seroquel? Like, do you think that was mostly what was causing it or was it just your, your shitty upbringing? It was, I'm not on Seroquel anymore at all. I didn't have constant clarity for the first six months. I'd have days that were better than others. Sure. And then after that, I'd have a, like a really big panic attack, kind of like a really big, yeah. I call them PTSD episodes every six months. And I'd end up in the hospital for a temporary time frame. What were those like? Did something trigger it? Were you having thoughts during it? Trigger, fear-based mostly. Mm-hmm. Sure. After I moved back to Salt Lake, after the two years when my identity had all been changed, I was convinced to move back to Salt Lake because of 
when they changed my social security number, they didn't change my SSI in the same month. So I couldn't pay my rent. Um, my attorney was like, I just got some free tickets from an ex-FLDS boy who said the town in Colorado City is changing. He just became a pilot. He had these free tickets. He said, if anybody's in crisis, tell him to fly home. Oh, wow. In Salt Lake, I, I stayed with an ex-FLDS lady for a while. But anyway, my PTSD usually gets farther apart over time. Yeah, that's great. And that's what happened to me. So like it was four years. Last year, I did have a small episode. It was a less amount of time than usual. So that was a year ago. But before that, it was like five years, four or five yeah. years. Do you still like fear for your life? There are days where I worry a little more, but I think it's been 11 years now. And I have to tell myself to pull myself out of those things because mm. I thought the documentary, I'd get a lot of bad feedback, but I haven't got any actually so far. Right. And most of it is um, just confirmation that it was true. Mm-hmm. And that was not what I was expecting. So it's still a learning curve, but it's not yeah. the same one that I was planning for. I was planning for a lot of like people just trying to deny it because they don't want to be in that mode of confirming it, you know? Wow. Yeah. But nobody has. Everybody just is just really sorry. And we didn't realize that it was because of the secret meeting that he told us to do all this stuff. We thought he was telling us because you really did something bad. So, Shelly, this seems like a good time for a break. Break time. Be right back. We are back. Hello. Hello. So you've done some amazing things since leaving. I would love to hear all about the Dream Center. What is it? What do you do? So the Dream Center is, to be honest, they are Christian-based. If you put like a Mormon-based facility where you get grants— Mm -hmm. Some way the money has to come from somewhere. Sure. So basically my mom, my adoptive mom, has done small organizations for years. She's worked in Mm -hmm. a lot of those. And they don't get the funding in Utah because the grants, she's uh, really bold about like polygamy is not healthy. We want to help the Mm -hmm. victims of people that do want to escape. There's also the whole side of polygamy where they say, you know, like sister wife show where they're all like saying, you know, this is healthy, you know. There's all those people. I call them, I call it Stockholm Syndrome. Polygamy is Stockholm Syndrome. They're captured by the system, and some people identify with it. Mm-hmm. They learn to say, you know, we're going to make this work anyway. Uh, my mom is on the captive by the system side. And in Utah, if you are on that side, it's really hard to get funding for your nonprofits because you can't get grants. Because, I mean, you can, but, like, it's really hard to get grants because of Mormons. The funders have a lot of say in how you run your program. So if they don't read the grants really well, they can just say like, you could only have this money if you do it this way. Wow. That was a big factor. And so my mom wouldn't take those opportunities because like they weren't really opportunities. Mm-hmm. So she wouldn't get the money. And then she couldn't help the people because she doesn't have the money. So anyway, the money has to come from somewhere. So mm-hmm. basically... We wanted to have a broader scale, be able to help the people in a broader way. So the funding in the Dream Center mostly comes from Christians. It mostly, not, not Mormon Christians. I got you. Like one, ones that, the Christians that actually do behave like Jesus. 
Well, hopefully. <laughs> more, more, maybe but, more right. so. I don't know. In, in comparison to Warren <laughs> Jeffs. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying that's where the funding comes from. And they do have sure. a lot of rules in the Dream Center to not trigger people. Because it's like mm. we've explained culture sensitivity. Walking into a rape recovery center and saying, we're going to talk about rape, you know, is going to be really horrific. So yeah. we walk into a Dream Center and say, we don't talk about God here right. because this is their mm-hmm. trigger in this area. So most dream centers do have more of that because they don't have that as the trigger, but the short creek dream center definitely we have to act our lives out. We can't we can't talk about God in the facility unless somebody asks about it pretty much. Yeah. And anything with church is optional. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So it's it's a pretty good setup for that. And actually when you get inside of there, which not every FLDS person realizes that it's it's a little different. So they sometimes don't want to walk in the doors. But if they do take that step, what they do find is like their story will be believed. These people have no reason why not to believe their story. Where mm-hmm. if you go into a facility that doesn't have a Christian base in Utah, then there's that risk a lot of times with the grant route. A lot of people, they're just told it wasn't true, take drugs. Because, like, you just imagine that. That's a really common thing to shush up victims in Utah, I believe. So we have to watch for that through any grants we get, too. When you escaped FLDS, you ended up at the Dream Center, right? Right. Okay, how did that happen? How'd you find out about them? So the Dream Center is in Warren Jeff's old house. So, so the landowners in Colorado City is a lot different because of the church in the past. So FLDS ran this little town. It's actually the backside of Zion's National Park. And it has really gorgeous mountains and stuff here. The UEP was set up. It's a charitable trust. So it's like a, it's kind of like a nonprofit type thing, but it's a trust. So like Warren Jeffs got up in church. This is the fast version, just so you know, like there's the more long versions of how this happened, but The fast version is he got up in church and said, if you want to stay in the church, which meant keep your family, then you need to donate your titles to your houses to this charitable trust called the UEP, the United Effort Plan. It's like the United Order, if you you probably understand a little bit about Mm -hmm. the United Order. So a lot of people did because they wanted to keep their families and stuff. So he Mm -hmm. owned almost all the property in this little town, in this charitable trust. This guy. (laughs) And then he would move people around. He'd say, like, big families go in this house and small families go in this house. And, you know, like, he'd just move everybody around. There was a moving crew. They would show up at your house in the middle of the night sometimes and just say, we're moving today. Like, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was it was a mess. they just throw everything, move mm. you out, move somebody else in. That's just. Awful. Yeah. He was doing that before he became the leader, but he was doing it through his father because he was kind of the caretaker of his father. When he became the leader, he ran from the law, and the state took over the UEP trust, and the state of Utah and Arizona took over the trust, and they gave it to ex-FLDS people. And that's why this town is an older compound, and it's becoming mostly ex-FLDS now. When I came back to Utah, I figured out that the UEP rules were— so I wasn't a legal wife. I couldn't go through court and get the house because I wasn't a legal wife. But the UEP had rules that if you were— if you built the house or if you're a wife of the person who built the house, the XFLDS people made these rules after they were put in that position to by the state. And they just said, we're going to give it first to people who built the house or people, a wife of the person who built the house. And I happened to be one of his wives and they knew I was because they were XFLDS people and he was in prison for life. So he's not coming back to get his house. 
So I went and applied. There was some of his family that supported me in that cause. They didn't really want the house because it's a high-profile house with tons of bills. You know, we weren't sure it was going to be able to be anything, really. So when we applied, um, they supported me in getting it. They didn't, And also a lot of them had more history with that particular house. That house was in Hilldale, Utah, and that house was the house that Warren Jeffs lived in before he became the leader. And so I went into his family after he was running from the law, not on the most wanted list, but he was running from the law. I didn't register that until after the wedding. But anyway, so I'm saying this house in Hilldale, um, he wasn't really at when I was there. Oh, right. Because he was already running from the law and he was already gone. So when I moved in there, I, I moved there for like four months. And so anyway, it was just easier for me to deal with it than somebody who had a lot of history that was bad there. Mm -hmm. So that was the experiment, was seeing if we could turn that house around. When you escaped, where was the first place you turned for help? So for me, I ran to a family in town that I had heard had left altogether. So I I first worked my way back from the elite groups into this older compound to Colorado City because there are some ex-FLDS people here and FLDS. So I worked my way here through like fighting for opportunities and it just so happened they decided to send me back to my biological family to question them in some areas. So I got locked in solitary confinement in this town and unscrewed the screws in the window and ran to this family I had heard about that had all left together in this town. And I knew where they lived because I didn't want to show up at the wrong house. If it was an FLDS house, that wouldn't work for me. So I had to go to somebody I thought would help me. Well, when I ran through a yard right before I got to this family's house, there was a lady sitting outside that was dressed ex-FLDS. And she was like, can I help you? And I was like, yeah, I need to get up to the neighbors. So she drove me up there and I didn't know her, but she's like, should I go in or should I just leave? I said, you might as well come in. So she came in and what she did is she she knew the phone number of the organizations on the outside. The family I ran to had too recently left themselves and they didn't know anybody on the outside either. So they actually called my adoptive mom now that very day. She's working for an organization in a neighboring town. The family I ran to drove me down to her that day. They took them all day to decide to do that, but they decided they would because they wanted me to stay with them. They were trying to convince me to stay with them because they know me and they'll take care of me. I was like, no, this isn't going to work this time. <laughs> so anyway, they drove me out. I went to my mom's house and um, she was the one that had lived through the AUB group, which is a different polygamy group in Utah. And I escaped that. This is your adoptive mom you're talking about right now? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, Kristen Decker. So she wasn't my mom at that time, but she fought so hard for me and all of that, that when I went to Tennessee, I actually asked her to adopt me. Gotcha. And she was working for one of these organizations that help people yeah. like recover yeah. from this sort of situation? Okay. Yeah. And um, was this all based in Utah then? Yes. She's still based there? Yes. So you basically, you and your husband, I guess, uh, established the Dream Center since then. We actually found the Dream Center and gave them everything that we could give them for the cause. And then they did talk to the UEP and all of that and figure it all out. They did a lease to own first to be sure the licensing would be able to be in place. Mm -hmm. And they actually took over the payments immediately, even though the contracts to the lease to own weren't done. So they, they took over the power, the water, all of that immediately. 
What do you do when someone like you, you were in the past, comes to the door of the Dream Center and is like, I just escaped a cult? What do you, how do you help someone? So basically we have an application and we, we just basically set their own goals. Like if they don't have an ID, which happens in cults a lot because they have midwives and they don't always register them with the state. So they don't always have a social. So it depends on their case. We go through their, their case with them and decide their own goals that they want to have in their own life. We do it over a series of time. The first day there's like six papers, but then, you know, over like a month, we'll meet with them a few times figure out what they need. There's no deadlines. You can stay for years if you're, as long as you're keeping peace in the house and you're working towards your goals. So they live in the facility yeah, potentially. Yeah, they live there. Live there. Okay. It's, it's over 50 rooms. It's like 28,000 square feet. Oh, wow. That's Is big. the goal to rehabilitate them in this, in such of a way, like find them jobs or how do they, how do you transition someone out? Teach them what a resume is, help them with their interview questions, get them a job. We transport them to their job if it's in town. It just depends what they want. Like if they want to save up for a car, we actually have a transitional house now. So if they want to save up for a house and it's for a more advanced patients. So like when they've been there for quite a while, we try to move them over to the transitional house mm-hmm. and open up beds for more people in crisis. Gotcha. What percentage do you think it is of the FLDS that escape, that get out? In this town of Colorado City in Hilldale, Utah, there's which they encompass, they call the both towns together. They call it Short Creek. Mm. In Short Creek, there's like 80% um, ex-FLDS now. Wow. And 20% FLDS. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Amazing. How many do you think go back? Do many go, go back after they get out? Not very many, a few. Yeah. But that one thing also is in my documentary, it talks about like 70 other locations of FLDS. So they're scattered all over, but this older compound is kind of like a hub. And do you have to be FLDS to qualify for aid through the Dream Center or other organizations, or no. can you just be LDS? You can be LDS. You can be—they um, just prioritize polygamy groups, pretty right. much, mm-hmm. and probably LDS, right. too. I don't know. But I do know that they do take other, like domestic violence, they do take other things if there's space, but they prioritize the people from this culture first. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. That's so interesting. Is there a, is there a way that we can tell our listeners um, how they can help out the Dream Center, whether it's... Yeah, is there a website you yeah, can point tell, us tell to? Us. Yeah, there's a website, shortcreekdreamcenter.org. That is such a great thing. Do you think people within the compound there understand that there is the Dream Center, that there is somewhere to go? Yeah, maybe that's holding people back. They don't think they have any place to go, any way to start over. They're stuck. That's one thing about doing it in the prophet's house. Oh, yeah. They can't hide it as easy. (laughs) Word of mouth. They're like, what happened to the prophet, you know, his house? Uh, Like, yeah. That's smart. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's great visibility. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) It kind of a slap in the face. I kind of like it. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And I've done in-home daycare in the past. I've done, right now I'm a peer support specialist as well as an RA at the Dream Center. So I do 20 hours as a peer support specialist and 20 hours as an RA. So basically uh, when I did the in-home daycare, I loved it, but I just gave it away because of the documentary coming out and all that. Like, yeah, you've been just you've been busy. Fun. Yeah, you seem yeah. a little busy with the documentary. Where where have you been? Because I know you've been promoting it, and people want to talk to you. What are some of the the cooler things you've done? So basically, we've been to Phoenix quite a few times. 
Um, but we're also planning a trip to San Francisco, a big event in San mm-hmm. Francisco in um, September for Suicide mm-hmm. Prevention Month. Nice. Mm, that's good. And I love that because my logo is um, the fire poppy. And that's like the state flower of California. But it's mm. basically my logo because it grows first after a fire in some areas. Mm. Oh, okay. I like it. And also it has a butterfly on my logo because I need that. And my angle of expertise, like what I'm trying to explore and all that is I don't just tell my story all the time. I'm I'm working toward um, healing from generational abuse. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. So. Speaking of healing, really quickly, was it hard for you to do this documentary? Did it throw you back too far? It did. For That's why I had that um, last week, last year, I had that little PTSD thing. It had ah, to do with the documentary. Gotcha. And some of the verifications, finding out there was a hit on me and stuff. But, yeah. you know, I've healed a lot from that. And it wasn't as long as normal. I think a lot of that, like when I, I do take 20 milligrams of Abilify right now, and I think a lot of that has to do with when I figured out what kept me stable for five years, you know, I didn't want to backtrack and make everybody paranoid again. Because every time you try to come cold turkey or any, with a doctor or anything, if you mess with your medicine, people all get heightened in awareness. And they, around you, your support system kind of goes through their own, their own um, worry for you. And sure. I, I don't want that. So I just decided I'd just stay on 20 milligrams. It's better than upsetting my life again. I think it's so amazing that you uh, were willing to do the documentary, get back into that ugly place, work through some things, deal with your PTSD as it hits you afterward uh, to help people. Yeah. You know, that's you put yourself through a lot of additional shit that you didn't have to. Just right. to help people. That's, I mean, that just speaks to your character. Yeah, That's Brielle, so you are so brave. Yes. So brave. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd want to add that you think we've skipped or left out or something you want to put in there? Um, I think we're good. You know, I have a website too, brielledecker.com. Yeah, B-R-I-E-L-L, Decker. It's not as nice as the Short Creek one. But it is there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're trying to get there. <laughs> we can put these links in the show notes. But if anyone wants to donate to the Dream Center, uh, shortcreekdreamcenter.org. And check out Prisoner of the Prophet on Discovery Plus or an, uh, your Amazon Prime add-on. Literally amazing, jaw-dropping, yeah, inspiring. Yeah, yeah. You won't even believe thing. it when you watch this documentary. If they want to get my book later, it's not out yet, but they can send their email and put it on like email list for my, um, like through my website. Oh, cool. Okay. You wrote a for book. It. Look at you go. Yeah. Awesome. What's the I name of the it. book? Do you, do you have a title for it yet? Um, I don't. I, I do know the title, but I can't like, I have to launch it, right? So when do you want us it, to name uh, it for you? We love naming yeah, things. Yeah, we, we'd be good at that. <laughs> <laughs> when is it supposed to be released? Um, we're working through the Dream Center self-published. So like we don't have everything figured out. We're we're close, though. It's all written. We're just, yeah, trying to get all right, it. But if people you. send you an email saying, hey, we're interested in the book, then you'll have them on a list yeah. to yeah. contact get on a them. Mailer Perfect. List. Yeah. Perfect. All oh, right. I love it. I love it. I will put all this in the description. Brielle, thank you so much for being our guest today. This has been amazing. I know it yeah. took a while to, to connect, but gosh, I'm so glad we did. This is so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you so much. That was such a great interview. Seriously. Uh, Yeah. 
seriously, uh, so fascinating. And yeah. what a story. I'm so glad she escaped that shit. Oh, oh God. my God. I would love to interview her again like in a year. Two years. See what's going on yeah. with her foundation and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks again, Brielle, for joining us. For real, super awesome. Love your story. God, it's it's heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. And also what a what a great happy ending, though. Heart-wrenching and inspiring. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. Mm-hmm. And then when we get back, we've got a pod to pitch. Mm-hmm. Shelly gets to cue music. I do. Always fun. And then uh oh, we gotta figure out how to do uh patron names today. I've got an idea. Don't spoil it. Okay, no spoilers. Listen to the commercial and stay after so that you know what we're going to do with the new names that we are giving out. All righty. Please don't fast forward through the commercial or we won't won't get paid. That's right. (laughs) We won't get that three cents we get. (laughs) Yeah, totally. It adds up. Mm, I guess eventually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, be right back. We're back. And uh, no, I want to talk. Mary. Okay. I came across an awesome podcast called. Late Learner. This is by Allison Hare, and I want to talk about it. Yeah. uh, So this is a blurb she sent us. I'm just going to read it. Read the blurb. It's about the conversations you have once you outgrow where you are. Mm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. In other words, unexpected places to find answers to your most important questions. It's bold. It's badass. Ready to throw to the clip? Can I? Yeah. Cue music. Seriously? Well, it's been a while since I got to do that. Cue music. Bitch, your pop. Oh, yeah. I said, bitch, your pop. How about the fuck it list instead of the bucket list? You might be like me. You've checked all the boxes. You did everything you thought you should do. You got the house, the kids, the job. But something is still missing. Why isn't it enough? That bright, playful spark of yours was put on ice way too long ago. And not only that, you've had some bumps along the way that left you a little bit bruised. But now, we are reviving that alive badass you accidentally left behind. And we're going bigger. Welcome to Late Learner with me, Allison Hare, where we are breaking down the behaviors that hold us back and learning the cutting edge and most effective ways to heal and move forward with confidence. This podcast is for the person who almost told yourself it was too late. Turns out you are not about the status quo after all. Subscribe to Late Learner with Allison Hare wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so check out Late Learner with Allison Hare wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, it's time for patron names, Shelly. Oh, are we are we doing this again? Well, I, I, yeah, we Sorry, are. Sorry, I was how on did, my phone. How you know how we, I, do. I know how you are. Uh, how <laughs> did we decide to do these patron names? Well, because good old Warren Jeffs um, has lots to say as the prophet to the world. Mm-hmm. We are going to give last names of some dumb shit that he would prophesy. Oh, like, like fake prophecies? Aren't they all fake? <laughs> Did you have to I'm say fake? I'm think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get started so we see how this is played. Our first patron, and by the way, uh, God, thank you for supporting us, all of our patrons. God, Even though you're thanking get- God right now? Thank Heavenly God. Father. Thank Thank you, Heavenly Father, for thank, your support. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this moisture we have received today. What? Moisture? They say that when it moisture? rains. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's true. Oh, my God. Can't you just say thanks that it rained, God? No. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this moisture we're receiving today. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Mormons are just creepy. It's just creepy. It's creepy. <laughs> Did I just say that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't you just talk like a normal person? Can I say that I never said moisture? I actually <laughs> never thank Jack shit for the weather. I don't know why. It didn't cross my mind. Uh, weather happens. Whether you want it to or not. <laughs> weather. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get back to the names. Okay. First up, Lori P. Or is it Laurie? Laurie! <laughs> Jesus. I was waiting for that. It could oh. be Laurie or Lori. I don't know. You should see the spike that happened on the recording. Was it good? Was it, was, it high? It was good. It was you're well, you're oh, welcome, yeah. people's ears. And Dan. Oh, sorry, Dan. <laughs> Um, so something that I think that Warren Jeffs would come up with is he would probably say something like, this starts with a P, pornography. Mm. Mm-hmm. I wish I could do his creepy voice. Pornography. Pornography. Is it, now only is for now me. Only for the prophet. Uh, that would be me. God, his voice <laughs> is so gross. Anyway, his new <laughs> revelation is pornography is for him and him alone. Oh, all right. I like it. You like so, it? Lori Pornography? pornography? Oh, Golly. sorry, Lori. Lori. Wow. I don't know what your name is. Sorry. It's one or the other. It sucks. I can't remember the time we had, like, good last names. Because we fuck them up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not your fault, Lori. Lori. <laughs> Next up is Andy, and Andy didn't bother giving us an initial, so... Well, along the same lines, Andy is Randy. <laughs> it's Randy? I wrote it wrong? No. What? Andy is Randy, because he's the prophet. And only the prophet is allowed to watch porn. Oh, so Andy Randy? <laughs> Andy Randy. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> Andy, your new last name is Randy. Andy Randy. You're welcome. <laughs> is this all going to be sexual? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, Melanie with no last name. Another no last name. Probably because they don't want us to give them new names. Haven't they learned that you will get one whether you want one or not? <laughs> There's no, please don't give me a new name. You fuck that. You're getting a new name. That's what we do. You need a new name to get into heaven anyway. You might as well let us provide it. You know, Shelly started this four years ago or something, and we just cannot get out of it. We can't. I think it's expected <laughs> at this point. Because we do like to announce our patrons. And how do you suddenly say, you know what? Patrons going forward, you don't get the new last name. I know. It would be tragic. Yeah. They might pull their support. We're not having that. <laughs> You're going to pay five bucks a month. You're going to get a fucking new name. All right. Well, what's Melanie's last name? We don't know because you didn't. I um, know. I know. It's oh, her, what's her with an M? one? It's up to you. You're doing this. Okay. So we have Melanie. It's something that I am sure and I'm, has already um, that this fake prophet would prophesy money. What about money? Money must be given to me. Okay. Melanie, money. That was your yeah. fake prophecy from Warren Jeffs. Is it a prophecy or more just a demand? No, it's saying God told me. That you so, need to give me money. Yes. Okay. I, uh, I don't know if prophecy counts as like future only, but when this guy talks like this prophecy to his followers. It's kind of like when you get a fortune cookie and it says something like you're a kind person. That's not a fortune. That's just a comment. Does well, that make sense? I it's know. similar. I, but when he says God said. God said. God said Melanie, the money goes to me. Give me money. Yeah. Is that what God told him? 100%. <laughs> Melanie While money. he was in prison. Yep. Okay. Thank you for your support, Melanie. Thanks, Melanie. Thanks for giving us your money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe that was a prophecy. <laughs> oh, for us. Yeah. Oh, shit. It was Thanks, meant for Warren. us. Oh, what a sweetie pie. <laughs> <laughs> but we do appreciate you, Melanie. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yes. next. Catherine S. S. All sinners. 
We'll suffer peril in the afterlife. There it is. That was good. <laughs> Did you enjoy my Warren Jeffs impression? It's a little creepily too close. So Catherine Sinners. <laughs> Catherine Sinner. Uh-huh. Good job. Oh, I'm That's sorry. Kind of a good one, actually. Is it? Yeah. Let's see what we can do for Joey J. J? Mm-hmm. What you got? I'm thinking, and I'm going to say what this is, and Mary, you're going to put it into Warren Jeff's voice. I think something like, judgment is upon you. And is this Jeremy? No, Joey. Joey. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, Sorry, Joey. 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 (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little too old, man. It needs to be more soft-spoken. Oh, yeah, he's super soft-spoken. Like, sort of high-pitched, but not, you know. What? Oh, no, this isn't a scandal. I can't say that out. Anyway, go ahead. I I know what you're saying. Okay. (laughs) Joey, judgment is upon thee. Did he, I threw in thee. Thee's better. Yeah. Yeah, he would say thee. Is it Joey Judgment? Is that what we decided? Yeah, sorry, Joey. Joey Judgment. <laughs> That's like a cool rock star name. Joey Judgment? Joey Judgment. That's not really a prophecy, though. What? That judgment is upon thee. Listen, none of these are prophecies. This is just like God said, blah, blah, blah. All right, all right. Okay. God okay. said, kids, take away your toys. God oh. didn't say you the, the toys will be taken away. Mm-hmm. God told me to tell you no more toys, kids. Sorry, fuck off. All right. Well, thank you, Joey. Mm-hmm. Sorry about the all the judgment. Mm-hmm. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> sucks for you. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Who's next? That's it. That was five. Oh, that was five already? We got Lori Pornography, Andy Randy, Melina Money, Catherine. What did we say about Catherine? It was an S. Oh, Sinner. Catherine Sinner and Joey Judgment. Thank you all. And, you know, we have three Supercast members to announce today. What does Supercast get you? It gets you scandal sessions. Oh. <laughs> it's, okay. Do, would we have to explain this again? No, Shall we never no. Knows? Everyone knows but me. Move on. So, Let's announce wait, hang them. on. Oh, God. Hang we on. Go. Okay. We have two ways to get additional content. Yes. One is through Patreon. Right. Everyone's familiar with Patreon. Mm-hmm. But you have to go to the Patreon either app or site to listen to additional content. Sometimes we, you know, post a picture or video or something yeah, in there. Yeah, That's one way to do it. Sure. But you have to do it on Patreon's app. Right. Okay. With Supercast, it goes to your regular podcast player. Commercial free, right? Well, yeah. Scandal sessions are always commercial free. And you also get oh. regular episodes commercial free. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, commercial free episodes and scandal sessions. Correct. And a shout out on the show. That's true. And a so, new name. Yeah. Lucky, <laughs> lucky you. New name. So that's the two things, Patreon and Supercast. Okay. That's if, how you support us. Yes. And if you're interested in doing any of that, I know it's confusing, especially to Shelly. Sorry. Just visit latterdaylesbian.org slash support yeah, yeah. and read all about it. Okay. Yeah. Or ask me and I will confuse oh, everyone. Oh, yeah. She'll yeah. tell you all about it. She has no idea. Okay. Truth. So today's Supercast members, we're going to mention Autumn R. Oh, I got this. Okay, go. Only... <laughs> sorry, you're you're finding old man again. He's not okay, old man sounding. Right, He's right, like right. weird. Okay. He's just weird, soft and creepy. Yeah. Only the righteous teenagers. Oh God. Will be my next wives. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Ew. a prophecy from creepy Ew, I'm ass. I'm sorry. Jeffs. I'm Ugh. sorry, everyone. Rot in prison, Jeffs. <laughs> Good God. Autumn righteous. I'm sorry, Autumn. Wow, we are just. Making these this new name well, process you know, really but if creepy. If it's just Autumn Righteous, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Just just ignore the rest. Ignore of the what rest. I said. Gosh, yeah. I'm really inappropriate today, mm-hmm. huh? Uh, the next supercast member is Rachel C. You want to take this one, Shelley? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It should be something about like the consequence oh. of not following me, the prophet. You want you want to you want to put that one in Warren voice? <laughs> 
Give me a sentence. I'm not sure. Like, like the consequence of you not following me Uh is something like eternal eternal damnation. damnation. Okay, go. The consequence of not obeying the prophet will result in eternal damnation. That was good. Was it? I liked how you put in following the prophet because he talks about himself <laughs> in third, in third person. person. Kind of like Elmo. Elmo does that. Does too. he? Uh-huh. But he's I also would rather to be follow three. Elmo. Oh, <laughs> okay, last supercast members. That was Rachel Consequence. Thank good you, job. Rachel. Thank you, Rachel Consequence. Last one, Kirsten K. K. Nothing even starts with K. Uh, Kangaroo. <laughs> Warren just loves kangaroos. <laughs> Does he? <laughs> Those extra pouches? I don't mm-hmm. know. Oh, weird. Oh, I got one. Huh. Something about you'll get kicked out of the family. Oh. If you don't obey. Okay. The prophet. You want to try this one? Disobedience. No, kicked out. I'm getting there. Oh, shit. Okay, go. God. Sorry. <laughs> Can't rush Warren Jeff's <laughs> voice. Because he talks so fucking <laughs> slow anyway. Okay, go ahead. Disobedience will result. In being kicked out of the... What do they call it? Let's say eternal family. Eternal families. I don't know. I kind of botched that one. It was good. It, it, he got the point across. <sighs> he wouldn't say kicked out. He would say... He wouldn't. I don't know, expelled? No, yeah, what would he say? He say kicked. Like, do we need a new K word? Is there one? Kangaroo. You know what? I'm going to Google K words. Kangaroos work. Watch this. are the most righteous of <laughs> Australian animals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's do care? that shit. Why not? <laughs> Fucking A, do it. God no. said. God said. <laughs> Fuck those wallabies. <laughs> or koalas. No, they don't start. Oh, yeah. That's another K word. We well, already did the kangaroo one in the in the Jeff's voice. So. And isn't a kookaburra? Kookaburra? Is that a K? I don't know. Is that a K word? What's no. with Australia? And the k- sounding. I don't know. Animals. Put another shrimp on the bobby. <laughs> All, All right. Let's go with kangaroo. Kirsten, Kirsten Kangaroo. It's probably the best one we had. <laughs> it's better than kicked out. <laughs> it's true. We're weird. I mean, is he more likely to say kicked out or kangaroo? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I'm probably kicked out. It depends on what God tells him to say. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, he would probably think he's really weird sounding if he starts talking about kangaroos and koalas. Yeah, but he never—he's always weird sounding. He never thinks he's weird. Remember that one part in the documentary where he basically is, admits he's a fraud and then changes then his mind, takes it back. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, huh? Hmm. Okay, somebody mm-hmm. has a little bit more self awareness, and they're playing a game mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. They're playing a game with people's lives. Yeah. So he knows what's up. He and does. He continues clearly. It. Oof, awful. Anyway, thank you all for your support. Sorry for butchering your new name. Never sorry. Peruge. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dan, from Extension Audio. Thanks for leaving it in, Dan. We really appreciate you and everyone listening. Remember, steer clear of those fucking cults because they're no joke. No joke at all. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.